재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 This week, we're thinking about those K-pop performances that took place just days ago in Pyongyang. They mark the first time in more than a decade that South Korean musicians have traveled to North Korea and the very first time that a North Korean leader has attended a South Korean performance in the North's capital. Until very recently, and some may say still on an ongoing basis, the regime of Kim Jong-un cracks down on access to K-pop and other forms of South Korean media, calling it even a form of cultural invasion. You couple that with the fact that the South Korean military has often used K-pop as a means of psychological warfare, blaring those sounds across the DMZ, and there are big questions as to what this K-pop performance actually accomplished. Were these events in Pyongyang this week just a song and dance, or did they actually lay the groundwork for concrete diplomatic outcomes in light of the approaching North-South Summit? We're going to get a few impressions, starting with Sokil Park, He is currently the Director of Research and Strategy with Liberty in North Korea, or LINK. He has worked for the South Korean government as well as the United Nations, and he's considered a fairly well-balanced and knowledgeable source of what's actually happening in Korea on the ground, because he does access a lot of newly arrived defectors to South Korea. He sat down with me very kindly in his office the other day to give me some insight into the performances and what they may mean. Check it out. So, Kiel, thanks very much for your time. Um, How striking was it to see Kim Jong-un applauding Red Velvet and then sort of chatting them up backstage? Is that something that grabbed your attention? Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, And I think that one of the biggest things was just this glaring contradiction, right, where in the Kim Jong-un era, even more so than under his father, there have been a lot of crackdowns uh, on foreign media, South Korean music, South Korean television programs and films. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, the North Korean government and Kim Jong-un presides over the most tightly controlled and kind of artificially engineered culture on the planet. Uh, And that involves severely punishing North Korean citizens for accessing uh, foreign music, South Korean films, and and so on. Uh, And, you know, that's a very consistent reporting from uh, North Korean refugees and people leaving the country. And so to have that as the background context and then having these, you know, foreign, you know, bourgeois, reactionary, corrupt, blah, 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 cultural performers not only on stage in Pyongyang, but blessed by, you know, Kim's presence himself kind of thing, uh, was, was pretty striking. Yeah. I think this week you tweeted out some formal pronouncements that Kim Jong-un had personally made this year about uh, accusing uh, South Korea and the West of trying to poison our socialist system with materials exactly like this. 
Yeah, exactly. This is born out on the ground level with inspections, uh, you know, house raids, these kind of things. And also in, like you say, Kim's speeches over the last few years, uh, in several different speeches, uh, making this point of, you know, the importance of upping the kind of so-called ideological purity, stopping this foreign uh, contamination from coming in. Of course, a lot of the stuff that comes in from abroad is just supply and demand. It's just, you know, there's there's demand amongst North Korean people. There's Chinese traders that know that uh, stuff organically comes in, but the North Korean government frames it as an intentional, you know, artificial kind of cultural invasion, psychological warfare, and these kind of things. There is stuff that could be framed as that, you know, there's there is radio broadcasting, which is funded by the, the U.S. government, for instance. Uh, but a lot of it is just simple, organic supply and demand stuff going in. Uh, but, you know, the Kim Jong-un and the Korean Workers' Party have a very strong line that they've been repeating against that. North Korea observers like yourself often point to the distinction between the signal that North Korea is sending outward and what it's sending to its own people. I'm wondering what kind of signal may be sent intentionally or unintentionally to the North Korean people regarding this K-pop concert, is there any, uh, could it be any way interpreted by the North Korean people as maybe it's more legal now, maybe it's okay for me to have this material in my home? Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, I do think that the the contradiction spreads to the North Korean people as well. Uh, this, of course, a lot of it is about you know Kim Jong Un's uh, diplomatic overtures and presenting him as somebody who can deal with the world, you know, a more friendly face, uh, more cosmopolitan, and those kind of things. Uh, it shouldn't. It should definitely not be seen as evidence for any kind of policy changes, right? We don't expect more openness to foreign media generally inside the country. You know, we've, we've been here before in terms of hosting uh, foreign musicians and so on inside the country. It, it doesn't uh, relate to any kind of, you know, Pyongyang, Perestroika or anything like that. Uh, or, or glasnost, uh, you know, opening up on on cultural policy, uh, but at the same time, this you know was on the front cover of uh, the Rodong Daily Newspaper. Uh, it was on uh, the North Korean Central Television. Uh, and so this has been not just to the direct Pyongyangites who are at the concert, but it was you know put out to the broader North Korean general public, uh, and you know it, it does present a mixed message compared to uh, some of the other things that have gone out. However, you know the the core message here is not that you know as far as the North Korean government's intention is concerned, it's not that. Uh, you know, South Korean music or, you know, uh, capitalist culture and so on is good. It's that we are one, right? It's Korean unity. It's recognition from the South. Uh, it's all of these kind of things. And so, as well as the strategic imperative of trying to play his best hand with, you know, announcing the completion of his nuclear deterrent uh, towards the end of last year, and then now, you know, very clearly approaching Beijing, approaching Seoul, and even DC, seeing if he can break out of some of the international isolation that's built up a lot over the last year. You know, really stepped up uh, in a, in a way that we've not seen that kind of increase uh, before. But as well as that, uh, sometimes I think that we can forget just the ideological imperatives. Uh, in a country that's as ideological as North Korea, 
it creates its own goals. It creates its own momentum. It's not just subservient to the strategic goals. And so I know there is a, an ideological momentum and kind of goal in and of itself to promote this, frankly, now a fiction of Korean unity. We are one these kind of things uh, and that provides uh, an opportunity for South Korean musicians to go to, to Pyongyang this is also of course reciprocal to the North Koreans coming to South Korea but as far as I'm concerned the more South Korean musicians and you know cultural performers and so on go to North Korea, the better. You know, if North Korean musicians come to South Korea and South Korea, you know, South Koreans go to North Korea, that is a competition, so to speak, or a game that the South Koreans will win every single time. Uh, you know, the more North Koreans get exposure to South Koreans who represent such a freer, richer, more cosmopolitan, basically more advanced Korean culture, the better. You can almost see that in some of the photographs, the still images of these events. Everything taken in North Korea, especially involving the leader, is so composed and everybody is almost in a state of uh, religious fervor, ecstasy. And the South Korean interactions are so much more sedate, so much more neutral. That alone sends a powerful signal, perhaps, to the North Korean people. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, regardless of the North Korean government's intentions with this, and sometimes they can be kind of blinded by their own ideology, uh, they can backfire. You know, we've seen that happen in the past. North Korean government messaging, which is, for instance, intended to show that South Korea is corrupt or, you know, that the South Korean people, uh, you know, hate their government, the government is delegitimate, uh, you know, because of some protest or something. North Korean residents see in the background of that, well, you know, okay, but it looks like South Koreans can actually express themselves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for instance, when the, you know, the, the protest democracy movement riots and, and even massacre uh, in Gwangju in 1980, for instance, was reported in North Korea, you know, 1980, a lot of North Koreans still had this, you know, like still very outdated idea of a very poor South Korea, maybe even poorer than themselves. And in the background of these photos, they were seeing, you know, Gwangju, this, this smaller provincial city that actually had nice, you know, big buildings and, and those kind of things for the time on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, and even things like, you know, South Korean youth throwing Molotov, Molotov cocktails uh, at the South Korean police and soldiers and so on. And having, you know, getting a subversive uh, message actually about a level of wealth and prosperity uh, and even freedom of expression uh, in South Korea from that. And, we, you know, that's going back, you know, 30 odd years now. And so the North Korean government does have this history of potential kind of own goals uh, and uh, kind of weaknesses that come from their ideological positions, which are areas that we should keep on needling you know so at every opportunity almost for whatever reason they want to do a concert uh, in Pyongyang and even better if it was in other places as well in, in North Korea yep uh, the more the better there's always meta messages below the surface of the content uh, the quality of the surroundings the level of wealth I still wonder how they process the uh, candlelight protests show up for six weeks in massive numbers uh, cause no violence and the president is out how do North Koreans wrap their head around that you couldn't 
pile on as much Park Hei dictatorship and so forth propaganda as you want, but that's peaceful and almost instantaneous change. Yeah, and you know, just like any other message or piece of media, it's going to be interpreted by different people in different ways. Uh, but especially if you have access to other data points, if you're maybe watching some South Korean films and dramas, um, you know, secretly, maybe you've heard of some people from your community who have escaped North Korea, and maybe even got all the way to, to South Korea, and then you get. Not just one instance of this kind of messaging, but several instances. And over time, you kind of, you know, a lot of people will start to question something. They'll have a thought at some point that will be divergent from the intention of the original message. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, in the long run, basically, whether it's under the radar, you know, foreign you know films and south korean music and literature being smuggled in on memory cards or if it's using some of these ideological weak spots of the north korean government and actually going you know on top of the table so to speak and and going right into pyongyang and presenting something different a single instance of this isn't going to change the game, but it's all cumulative, right? It's all working in a positive direction of exposing the North Korean people to the outside world, to messages and bits of information that challenge the North Korean government's propaganda and narratives uh, and ideologies. And that's a good thing. Okay, so there's some perspective from Sokil Park, from Link. Uh, we're going to turn to some other members of the younger generation and just get their opinions on the issue. It's not 100% scientific, but it should give us an indication of what uh, some up-and-coming generation members are thinking. And surrounding me are Lee jin and Kwon Yong-il, who are graduate students at Seoul University of Foreign Studies, and Anna Bednarchik from the Yonsei Graduate School of International Studies. Welcome to all of you. Hi. Good morning. Well, let's start with the outsider, and then we'll get the Korean perspective. Anna, what was your impression overall? Do you have sort of an optimistic or a cynical perspective on it? I think I'm more cynical about it, actually. This is a good event. I'm not saying it's bad. And it can bring some positive hope, emotions to that. But... This kind of events happened before. And as we can see, nothing happened as a result. Maybe in the future, yes. we can see that that was a milestone. But right now, no. It sets a tone. It sets a mood. And I guess you could say it expresses a, a wish for closer relations. But does it actually change anything on the, uh, on the ground? Why don't I turn to uh, Kwon Yong-il. What did you think of uh, this week's Hallyu in Pyongyang, K-pop in Pyongyang. K-pop in Pyongyang, people are not really used to K-pop, I think. So to them, it would have looked awkward. Mm. Yeah, in North Korea, you are banned from listening to K-pop songs. So it was very surprising to see, you know, all the North Korean were listening to K-pop songs. And they showed a little bit of response to K-pop singers even. Right, uh, you know, Baekjeong is very famous for the singer who can express the emotion Han, right? Mm. Yeah. So I think that North Korean were kind of you know engage with Baekjeong singing, and they can feel the emotion Han from her songs. Uh, Han, it's described as a uniquely Korean kind of feeling. Is uh, Han the bridge between North and South Korea? 
Uh, I would say it may be, but I'm not really sure if Han is a commonly shared emotion between North Koreans and South Koreans. Because uh, for North Koreans, their emotions are usually controlled and under... Uh, they're not supposed to show their emotions or thoughts. So even though they have that idea, I think they're probably controlled not to show it. And they're probably not being able to think about it. Was that on display in this concert? Do you think that uh, the audience reactions were were genuine? Or did you get the feeling that they were coached along? What was your sense watching the audience applaud? Uh, from my perspective, I think the audience were rather tense and trying not to be loose and uh, trying not to loosen up because even though they're still in a public concert and though it's a place for cultural exchange, they're under the monitor of the government or North Korean regime. So they're not able to show anything. Yes, they were like sitting right straight, right? Mm-hmm. And show no response. I can't blame them for being a little tense because mm-hmm. there's Kim Jong-un sitting uh, you know, up in the balcony and you can be sure it was just like when Kim Jong-il died and uh, the people lined the parade route. If you didn't show the proper level of emotion, you got spotted and you would have somebody asking you questions later on. I'll bet this was a similar kind of environment. Did you perceive this whole North Korean outreach to the South and welcoming the South Korean audience, uh, welcoming the South Korean performers to Pyongyang as a sincere outreach? I think it could be, but I still perceive it as a little bit of an acting. Like, let's show them that we want something mm. and we will see their reaction and then we'll think what to do with it. Okay. So the South said, yes, let's do it. Let's do this K-pop concert in Pyongyang. We will send our artists to you. And now Pyongyang said, okay, so let's do the same thing in fall in Seoul. Yes. Would you want to go to that? Of course. Who would even come? I mean, it would be maybe, uh, surely the North does not have the caliber of uh, pop culture in the, in the sort of K-pop idiom that South Korea has. Uh, so Kiel earlier said, you know, when you put South and North Korean culture together, South Korea is going to win that on a superficial level every single time. They've just got uh, the Hallyu game down. Who comes? Like Moranbong Band or what? Probably Moranbong Band and some famous singers in North Korea. But yeah. I hardly think they're going to appeal to Korean public. Mm-hmm. More broadly, if we, you know, whether it's concerts or whether it's this or that, do you think um, more cultural exchange is a good idea? Mm, yeah. Uh, right. The human rights envoy, what was he, the UN um, Kirby, Michael Kirby, the judge who uh, did that inquiry into human rights, he said, why can't the dermatologists of the two countries get together? You know, very simple, non-political kind of stuff. That seems like a great idea, you know? Concerts are a, um, are, are, are a cultural thing. Would you want uh, Yongil unification? Uh, I personally wouldn't want unification right at Uh, right now at this stage because currently there is a huge economic gap between the North North Korea and South Korea and uh, if unified it is going to uh, provide some hard time for the South Korean economy to mend up the gap or just provide some uh, chance for North Koreans to be part of one Korea and I think it will probably just bring dismantlement in South Korea or just Korea overall. So I'm not leaning towards unification for right now. Jinna, do you share that uh, sort of sentiment? Mm, I don't want uh, unification either mm, because I think there are a lot of conflicts within South Korea. Like 
we have a lot of gaps and conflicts between generations and, you know, between men and women these days. So I, I don't think unification is a good idea. Like we have too many problems to solve in South Korea. I was talking about this issue with my friends and they were like, uh, the fi- you know, in the concert, the final song was like, our wish is unification, right? Uh-huh. But we were like, no, <laughs> that's not our wish. Like, we don't I, want that. I can't help but wonder if the singers, yeah, of course, they've got that as their performance number, mm-hmm. and they're told to sing it with all their sincerity. Mm-hmm. But if I could do a little survey of all of those singers, especially mm-hmm. the young ones mm-hmm. and Red Velvet and so on, what their impression, what, mm-hmm. what they would really feel about this question. Mm-hmm. Okay, Anna, you don't have uh, a whole lot of skin in this game, whether it unifies yes. or not. How do you feel? There are few things... When it comes to like the issue of reunification and being a foreigner, mm. because when I talk with my friends, we're always saying, "Oh, that would be good if there is a re- reunification because peace and democracy and everything." But on the other hand, we know that it's kind of a dream, and we shouldn't live in that dream. And when we look at the economy, as you guys mentioned, this is not easy. We would be very happy. to see the reunification, but the consequences can yes. be very, very difficult. It will be very difficult at the beginning. You know, I'm from Poland, as you mentioned. I'm from Poland. And Poland has communistic past. So sure. when we look at North Korea, we're like, guys, we know that you can do better, but what can we do about it? We can yeah, quite uh, from, from the fall of the Berlin Wall on, and you had the Solidarity Movement yes. in Poland. You went through some turbulent decades there, but all for the better in the long run. Yes. Did you, uh, I don't think I asked you this directly, Yongil, did you think that this is uh, a sincere effort by uh, North Korea, this whole cultural outreach and rapprochement with South Korea? I think it's rather superficial. Considering the political situation of North Korea, it's under huge uh, sanctions from many countries, not only international communities, but also the United States and also some from China. So they're under the pressure of opening up. But by providing their gesture, I think it's just a way of uh, maybe lowering the ban on ban on their country for their trade and exports because their economy is under threat right now. Sure. I think uh, North Korea is trying to, you know, make the world see them as a normal country. And nuclear weapons for them is not just uh, nuclear weapons, it's a matter of survival for them. So I think even Kim Jong-un cannot decide to denuclearize North Korea. That's a a fascinating view. Um, I agree with you for slightly different reasons on the, the nuclear issue. that there just simply is no chance that they they can or will give up nuclear weapons. That might be something to talk about in the future. But the whole point of this K-pop in Pyongyang stuff was to lay the foundation and to set the mood for the uh, Moon Kim Summit. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think, whether you're cynical or optimistic, it's going to be one amazing photo op or video sequence (laughs) to watch Kim Jong-un walk across the MDL up there at Panmunjom into the Peace House on the other side. Do you have any uh, hopes for the summit? I don't think so. Because North Korea is trying so hard to buy time right now, you know, to develop their nuclear weapons. So I don't think 
any difference be happen. It's hard. I mean, everybody has an opinion of how this government is disposed towards North Korea. Mm-hmm. I, I dare say the Moon administration has surprised some who thought it was just going to be sunshine all over again. Mm-hmm. In some ways, getting Kim Jong-un down mm-hmm. to the, uh, the Panmunjom area and mm-hmm. coming into South Korea, that's kind of one triumph in a way. Change when it came to Eastern Europe. Um, to East Germany, of course, and your German yes. unification. There, th- it was convenient in a way in Poland because there was no South Poland. You know, <laughs> yes. Poland was one country, and it could evolve and change together. Yes, but you know, when it comes to Germany, there was East and West Germany. But the difference between Germany's case and Korea's case mm. is that East and West Germany, they were talking to each other. They had yes. this cultural exchange all the time and that's why they could reunify themselves so fast that's right Mm -hmm. so actually this concert can be the hope for starting that in korea so south and north korea yeah so if they start now who knows maybe in 20 years something will happen you got one long time horizon (laughs) there i think i think things are going to happen faster than that but your your point is well taken i mean every time south and north interact there's always something that happens under the surface and north koreans have a chance to notice something right Mm -hmm. i think we can talk about this again on some future date maybe after one of the summits it's been really fun to uh, talk to you guys today thank you very much for coming in it was a fun time for me too thanks for having us thanks for having us